0: Hi there, this is Jesse Bartholomew, the host of Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm excited about this episode because it involves surgical stuff, and those are some of my favorite podcasts on other people's podcasts, so I am excited to talk about this. So I'm just going to jump right in, uh, because I don't like a lot of small talk at the beginning of the podcast I listen to. So if I ever have business to take care of, I promise I will be brief about it. Anyway... This takes place in Greenberg, in Green County, Kentucky, and also in Danville. Um, so we start with Jane Crawford. Jane has been pregnant for nine months. She's 46 years old. And she's totally perplexed because it's been nine months and she is ready to pop these babies out and they are not coming. So she thought that she had twins. Um, she's got a big old belly. It's 1809, and her regular doctors are absolutely stumped. They're like, we don't know why this baby has not come out of you yet, so they say it's time to bring in an expert. Enter Dr. Ephraim McDowell. I think it's Ephraim. He traveled from his home in Danville to Greensburg to examine her, and he gently breaks the news to her that, unfortunately, she was not pregnant at all. The swelling in her abdomen was a cystic ovarian tumor. Ephraim McDowell was born on November eleventh, 1771, in Augusta County, Virginia. He was the ninth child born to Samuel and Mary McDowell. People were really busy making babies back then. Coincidentally, he had actually grown up just two miles north of Jane Crawford's childhood home. So they were actually like neighbors, which is kind of crazy. Ephraim's father, Samuel, was in politics, which took the family to Danville. But then Ephraim moved back to Virginia when he was twenty to start a three-year apprenticeship with Doctor Alexander Humphreys, who was a respected anatomist with a degree from the University of Edinburgh. Um, so McDowell was officially, you know, considered a doctor of medicine after finishing his apprenticeship with Doctor Humphreys. But he kinda wanted something more official, so he went and enrolled himself at the University of Edinburgh, and he studied anatomy under the direction of the famed Scottish surgeon John Bell. So McDowell, for reasons unknown, didn't finish school at this time, so he didn't get his degree. But he went ahead and established his own practice in Danville anyway, upon returning to the U.S. in 1795. And he earned a reputation then as, quote, one of the most skillful surgeons and anatomists west of the Allegheny Mountains. Um, I had to say Allegheny in my last episode, too. I am not sure if I'm saying it right, so I apologize if I'm not. And if anybody wants to comment and let me know, um, you know, I'm happy to have the criticism. So let me know. Allegheny? Allegheny? I don't know. Uh, Fun fact... Dr. McDowell did finally receive a medical degree 14 years after his pioneering surgery in 1823. So, back to 1809, though. Dr. McDowell is looking at Jane Crawford, who's got this big old tumor in her abdomen, and he's telling her, you know, this surgery has never been done before, Um, It could easily uh, result in a fatal infection if we open up your abdominal cavity, you know, because this thing is just, it's huge. And honestly, he just wasn't sure if it was a good idea or even possible. But he also clearly recognized and told her that if she didn't let him try, she was going to die, like, sooner rather than later, So Dr. McDowell offers his services and then is like, but I got to go back to Danville. And if you want this surgery, you're going to have to come to me. So this is like 60 miles from where she is, meaning she would have to ride 60 miles on horseback with a giant tumor in her belly, which is the stuff of nightmares, if you ask me. But two weeks later, she was in Dr. McDowell's office, ready as one could be to go under the knife. I want to give a little warning about this next part. Things do get a little graphic. So Scottish physician Robert Houston had successfully drained but failed to remove an abdominal cyst in 1701, so like over a century earlier. But McDowell was the first to successfully remove an ovarian cyst. Um, So we'll see at the end. Like he, He ended up doing this several times. But anyway... Popular drugs at this time were things like mercury, opium, ipecac, and calomel. Antiseptics and anesthesia were not used for another 40 years. Um, Fun fact, what is calomel? It's poison, basically. I had to look it up. It contains mercury, and it kills bacteria, but it also has irreversible negative effects on the body. Uh, and Lewis and Clark allegedly took it with them on their expeditions to treat STDs. So, you know, would not recommend, but do you think? Plasters induced blisters to draw up poisons. Brandy and cayenne pepper were administered to draw blood. McDowell also apparently found that um, something called cherry bounce, uh, maybe like a bourbon drink, was great for reducing shock in patients. Well, yeah. So if you want to make your own cherry bounce, you can Google it. I looked it up. There are all sorts of recipes on the internet. Apparently, George and Martha Washington were big fans. One of the recipes I looked at called for uh, like a ton of cherries and a ton of sugar and four cups of vodka, rum, cognac, bourbon, rye, or grain alcohol. So that just sounds like a bad headache the next day. Jane Crawford was instructed to rest for a week before surgery. There wasn't a lot of prep because, frankly, they didn't know how to prep for an unprecedented surgery. So in a truly dramatic fashion, Mrs. Crawford was led on Christmas Day to the operating table by Dr. McDowell and his assisting nephew, James McDowell. So it was a family affair. The tumor's location was marked with a pen and a three-inch incision was made. Once he had opened her up, he realized he was not going to get the whole thing old-fashioned way. So he starts improvising like a badass. He wraps a binding around the fallopian tube and ligament connecting the ovary to the uterus to cut off blood supply to the tumor. Then the rest of the tumor was cut open and, quote, 15 pounds of dirty gelatinous material oozed from the tumor before the collapsed sac, weighing close to seven and a half pounds was extracted from the incision. I was going to rewrite that, but it's just too good the way it is. Um, But he wasn't done yet. So at this point, unfortunately, the intestines had started to protrude outside the abdomen during the procedure. So the intestines were soaked in warm water, and then placed back inside the abdominal wall. And then poor Mrs. Crawford was turned on her left side to control hemorrhaging, um, permitting blood to escape, and thus preventing infection. Last but not least, the doctor had to go in and place stitches around all the bleeding vessels around the fallopian tube and around the ovarian ligament where they'd been bound, and then adhesive plaster was applied between every two stitches. So finally, Dr. McDowell closed. And in order to allow for proper draining of blood and other fluids, he had to leave the ligature that surrounded the fallopian tube out a little bit at the lower end. So that gross little opening would apparently decrease the chance of abscess growth following the procedure. Um, What I didn't find was how long this procedure took. So if anybody randomly happens to know that, I would love to know how long it took. Um, But the initial plan was for the exhausted Mrs. Crawford to be on bed rest in Danville for 25 days following the procedure. But amazingly, after only five recovery days, Dr. McDowell walked in to find her making her bed ready for the journey home. Which is just, that's so crazy to me. Um, So, Jane returned home to Greene County, and she went on to live another 32 years to the ripe old age of 78, which is pretty darn good for, like, post-extreme operation in 1809. Um, And Dr. McDowell went on to perform 11 more ovariotomies over the following years, and he, he only lost one patient, which, you know, 1800s, that's... That's pretty good. So three surgeries deep, Dr. McDowell is like, hey, I should probably share what what I've been doing with the medical community. So he sends an account of what he's done to Dr. Thomas James, who is a professor of midwifery at the University of Pennsylvania. So this Dr. James was also one of the authors of the Eclectic Repertory and Analytical Review. So he was going to write this stuff up in this journal, but another one of the co-editors refused to publish these accounts just out of sheer disbelief. Um, Quote, the American medical community refused to accept that such surgery could have taken place, especially on the frontier. So news even started to spread to Europe and European doctors were like, yeah, no way. Um, They cautioned readers not to believe that the surgeries could have been performed in the, quote, backwoods of America with any degree of success. So that's kind of sad. Um, And Dr. McDowell, he did finally get his credit in 1853, which unfortunately is over two decades after he passed away. But in 1853... A lengthy report of Um, Dr. McDowell's pioneering techniques in abdominal surgery was published by Dr. Samuel Gross of the University of Louisville Medical School. So beyond just the aforementioned surgeries, McDowell paved the way for other modern practices. He was really one of the first surgical pathologists analyzing and studying specimens from his surgeries, He also helped usher in the concept of informed consent, um, providing more thorough explanations of what his patients could expect from their medical procedures and conditions. For this episode, I used a really fun book called It Happened in Kentucky, Remarkable Events That Shaped History, second edition by Mimi O'Malley. It's got all kinds of great little stories in it. And I also used a blog by uh, Regina Jeffers called Calomel, a Poison, Once the Standard for Medical Treatment. That was just a really interesting little tidbit on that, um, that Calomel. So if you guys have any ideas for topics for the show, or if you want to come on and talk about something yourself with me, I would love that. You can send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at uh, KY History Haunts or Kentucky History Haunts. Um, And thank you for listening and please share and review and subscribe. It helps me so much and I look forward to sharing the next story with you.